everybody. How's it going? Jeff Openshaw here. Welcome to This Week in Mormon. It's nice of you to join us this week. We're thankful that you take the time to be a part of the Twim family and listen to this show. So big of you. Very much appreciated. I'm joined this week by our favorite expat out there in Singapore, Josie Gleave. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Jeff. How are you? I'm exhausted, but I'm okay. Um, yeah. Why, why the exhaustion? What's what's up? Well, ever well. I mean, besides the fact I... that you have children and I don't, so I yeah, will never yeah, understand yeah, yeah. your level of exhaustion. Please go on, well, tell me. They are tiring too. Um, oh boy, here kicks in. Anyway, folks, this is this is this is a this. I'm gonna call this episode a this is a dedication episode. That's what this one is. Okay, I don't. This is a time. This is what I'll be po- perfectly honest. I wish I had nothing to record this week because I don't feel like doing it right now. But I am here because of the love. Um, so I just got back from a lengthy road trip, wherein last week my I packed up all the family, everybody, all of us. We packed in the minivan and we made our way all the way out to Northwest Missouri, and we spent almost a week hanging out. At Al's house, we didn't feel too weird about this. And Al from you know the show, uh, we've been pretty, pretty regimented with like COVID caution and things. Nothing like too burdensome per se, but we've had like our we've had our tight circle. Like we've got some family a couple hours away; they can come. We're cool, but we haven't really expanded it much. But Al lives in a farmhouse on like hundreds of acres in Missouri and barely sees anybody, so we didn't feel it was too weird. So we. Drove out and hung out with them. It was awesome. We had such a grand time. So I'm tired because I just got back today. I drove 500 odd miles from staying overnight in Kentucky, and I only got home a couple of hours ago. And so I'm just a little, a little tired. Yeah, yeah. So that's what, what happened. Guys, what did you guys do during the week? It was just. It was so fun to be out there, man. That was. It was. A, that was a great trip. I mean, specifically at Al's place. First couple of days, I think we just kind of enjoyed the company and didn't plan much in the way of activities. We we're just kind of hanging out, but my kids loved it. I mean, my, my boys haven't even been able to go to on playgrounds ever since COVID started. Right. Oh, so uh, this is now Disneyland, but Al has like <laughs> a playground he's built in his backyard because his land is, he's just got massive expansive land. So the second we got there, they just ran off and just started playing on the playground with his kid. And, uh, you know, they loved feeding the chickens. We all rode out on the tractor and took a trailer out and, grabbed uh, an old iron wood-burning stove that when I got there, he's like, yeah, we're going to move this. I'm like, the two of us. And I, it's iron, it's just solid iron, but we made it work. Um, so there's a lot of just fun stuff around the farm. You know, he has a pond. He has all these great things, and the boys just ran around free. It was great. We could just sit there and, like, wash some dishes, and I'd see the kids hundreds of yards away just running around the field having a great time which they can't do here if they're hundreds of yards away from my house here they're like four streets over <laughs> and i have no idea what's going on yeah uh, so so it was dynamite as far as any other activities we didn't do anything crazy we flirted with going to kansas city and cityying it up but we didn't wind up doing that so we we went and spent some time uh in the town of hamilton which is the location of al's you know famed quilting empire and i had been i was there eight years ago for longtime listeners who might remember, we did some shows back there in 2012 from Hamilton um, just to see how much this place has changed. And that was fun. We picnicked at Adam on Diamond and, uh, you know, checked out the Far West Temple site, went to a farm with some cows, a creamery with varied varieties of milk. Just fun things like that. Hung out, played games, played some FIFA. You know, it's what people do. 
just hanging out with my buddy. So it was it's great. Like the twenty the twenty twenty version of City Slickers almost. It's nice. You got a little bit of a break. Did we talk? I don't know if I talked to City Slickers on the show or not. Uh, I watched City it a slickers. few months ago. Oh, did you? I, wa- I, I watched <laughs> it a few months ago. I think it was probably late August. It was on Hulu. I was like just looking through Hulu, and I was like, I'm just going to put City Slickers on. It seems like something I can randomly just not care about. And it freaked me out because the character Mitch, played by Billy Crystal, gets woken up by his mother on his birthday, on his 39th birthday. And she calls and tells him like the the same like story of his birth every year and blah, 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 blah. And the thing is like Mitch is having a major identity crisis. He's going through a midlife thing. He's not happy. His life is filled with ennui. He doesn't know what to do with himself. And the fact that she tells this story, that he's going through this and then she says it's his 39th birthday. And his birthday in the movie was also my birthday, the same date as my birthday. And I turned that same age this year. And so I'm sitting there watching this like, dude, this is telling me something. Like, I am, I am, I'm Billy Crystal in City Slickers. This is free- creeping me out. It's like you this- just connected with your Zodiac sign for the first time. Through city slickers. It totally freaked me out. I'm like, <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, am I going to have a midlife crisis? Am I unfulfilled? Like he is? We have the same, we're the same person. So that was a little weird. Funny you brought city slickers up. Anyway, we had a great trip. Uh, my kids all got a big kick out of it. And they were pretty good. I mean, we road tripped all the way out there, which was, you know, you're going. Quite epic. 1,200 miles, something like that. Yeah. Is it, it pretty good drive And it was fun. Uh, what's that? Oh, I sorry. I said, is it pretty to drive through? I've never driven through that. Yeah, that half. Well, it, of it depends the on United which States. part. Well, it depends on which part. Um, you know where we are. So we we drive through the Appalachians, of course, from where we are. We have to cross those to get over to the Midwest. That's always a very pretty drive. It can be windy. It's actually snowed when we were going out last week, which was fun. Um, but the Appalachians are beautiful. I'm sure a few weeks earlier they would have been even more robust with uh, leaf covering and stuff like that. Now that's starting to fall off, but it was still very very beautiful. Um, once you get into Ohio, deeper into Ohio and Indiana, just very flat. Not a lot's happening. It's just very, very flat. Um, I've been to that area before. We stayed the night in Indianapolis. I like Indianapolis too. It kind of punches above its weight. Good town. So it's pretty. Missouri's different. Missouri's a little bit more rolling hills. It's been affected by, I think, the millennia of glaciation and the, the river systems and all that stuff. So lots of just rolling hills up and down. Um, I didn't expect so that. Was, that. So it's pretty much that. And on the way back, we went a different way. We went through St. Louis and Southern Indiana is very hilly. And then Kentucky's got bluegrass region. And then you go through the apple. We spent most of today just in the Appalachians. And that's my travel log, everybody. Sorry for the lengthy one, but that's why I am. Jeffy's a tired boy. And, uh, well, it's better than me. I have zero travel log because we are, well, we can't really leave the island. Or if you do, it's kind of questionable as you go, to can you, you go to Malaysia? Back. No. Can you go to Malaysia? No, not uh, at all. It's just, no. It's right there. So, well, so there are, there's like an agreement with Malaysia because there are quite a lot of workers who normally would say like live just across the border in Malaysia and commute into Singapore to work each day um, or like at the start of the week and then come back to their families on Friday. That's um, kind of got... Well, all of that got stopped during COVID. Do, do they have like a just, like a fast over the border system thing like you can do in the U.S. and Mexico and Canada? A similar? Rate? I think it's sort of similar. It's mostly for um, those workers because there is a decent amount of like, yeah. the workforce that does come directly from Malaysia. Um, but 
So it is a little bit different now where they come over and they like stay a couple of weeks and then they can maybe go back to visit family for a bit and then come back over for a couple of weeks. So it's not, it's just not quite as transient as it was before. But as for, um, uh, foreigners like myself, we just, yeah, there's not a whole lot of moving around. So that's understandable. Yeah, it is. It is. I mean, look, Especially I think you everyone's, you're, you're, you're think stuck everyone's on an island a, city state. Like, yeah, you can't go anywhere. everyone's can't. getting a little bit frustrated, I think, all over the world with, you know, the fact that uh, the virus is still a thing. Um, but it is. See, so I was told I, I'm a little confused because I was told that if a Democrat was elected, the virus would like magically disappear because it's just a construct. You know, if it only, remains, which is which is uh, even with Biden winning the it's just it's still there. It's I'm curious if that was meant to extend to the rest of the world as well. Or was that just a U.S. thing? Mm. It's just that's everywhere. It's a whole mm. global conspiracy. Oh, the like China, we call it beacon. the Wuhan virus, the China virus, as it were. Oh, OK. Um, well, good the election know. here was was fun. We're not going to dwell on that on this show, though. I hope if any of you listened to the Evan McMullen interview last week that you got something out of that. That was a very political episode by design. Uh, one thing I think it's worth remembering for some people who gripe about, well, Paul, it's fair to, to gripe if we talk politics too much, but this week in Mormons doesn't always mean that everything, everything is discussed like through a Mormon lens. Sometimes it means we're interviewing Latter-day Saints who are interesting people. And it happens that there are members of the church and that might inform who they are, but it doesn't mean we're having a discussion like about the church directly per se. Something to bear in mind. I mean, most of the time we try to make it so it's there's relevant content, you know, for uh, the Latter Day Saint community. In the case of Evan McMullen, it was that he wanted people to vote for Joe Biden, even though he's a conservative Christian. So we thought that was fun to explore. Anyway, a lot of people were. We had many comments about that episode on our Facebook page. People were just like, "So tired of this guy. Why are you guys talking politics?" And I'm like, you know what? Start your own podcast then. Go ahead. <laughs> You call him because I thought he was delightful. It was fun to have him on. You know, either way, however you feel about the the election and all that, it was an inter- he was an interesting guy, and uh, well, I think he's doing valid. his thing, and that's yeah, yeah I think it's fine. valid to be able to talk to people who are members of the church but work in a variety of different um, either industries or are like notable characters. Like, yeah, I feel like exactly. characters maybe isn't a great word, but you know what I mean. So, um. Yeah, I don't know. I, no complaints from me on this end, Jeff. That's good. Thank you. Anyway, so the election was fun, and it was fun to go out and hang out with some friends for election night, at least so we could see. Uh, or election week, as it turned out. Just constant updates, day after day. I was going to say, election <laughs> night was a little on. bit of a anticlimactic because you election kind of night hoped went, it would end, and then it didn't. Yeah, election night kind of went as expected. And I think people, you know, we won't dwell on it again, but... Unless there was a severe blowout for Democrats, it was going to be how it's been. I mean, that's the only way. So, you know, tight margins, that's expected. And we all knew there would be the red mirage and then the blue shift. If anyone's not familiar with these terms, a lot of forecasters meant that because of because of COVID, um, a lot of Democrats or people voting for Democrats have opted to go with mail-in balloting or uh, early voting. But depending on the state you live in, because in the United States, even though elections are for federal offices, they are not managed by the federal government. States manage elections and they have different rules. So some states will count those mail-in ballots uh, and early voting 
before the fact. And then they just tally them up on election day along with the people who are voting on election day and they give you those results immediately. Uh, many states don't do that and they don't open any of those ballots until election day. So you have those people who are voting immediately when they show up to vote on election, it gets tallied quickly with precincts reporting per normal. And then they also have to factor in everyone who voted before the fact. And what we saw was a very, even even much more partisan driven schism between um, actual day of voting being largely Republican and voting for uh, President Trump and then heavily Democratic for those who voted early or by mail. And so the red mirage would be that because you have the initial reporting as who are doing it the day of, it would seem that one side was doing very well. And then you start counting the other ballots and it would be a slow trickle where it might change the results. That's pretty much what happened. Not everywhere, of course, but that is pretty much what happened, um, especially in the contested battleground states. I mean, yeah, like Biden blew it in some states, like in in Florida. I don't know what happened there, but um, but all these other ones you saw, that's what that was the norm, people. I just want to stress that. That's not something that's that's weird to see. It's the fact that they're counting ballots that were already cast before the fact. Those are those are totally legitimate votes. It just takes time to work through it, um, because some states don't just don't count them early. And some states have even tried to pass legislation to count them earlier and they've been blocked from doing so because the legislature doesn't want to do it or what have you. Uh, but those are state issues for you to figure out. So the election was fun. Who knows? It's still not like a done deal. So we don't know what's happening, but hey, whatever. That that was our, the biggest news of last week, of course, was a presidential election. Yeah. But Well, that's, from uh, abroad, not- people were anxiously waiting um, for some results. And then the moment I left the house, I was sort of inundated with Josie, what's going to happen? You're American. You should know. And I just felt like you are the reason I haven't left the house in two days for the people who assume that I must know what is going on because of my own citizenship. Like I'm just somehow intrinsically linked to the entire voter um, psyche throughout the US. And I'm like, this is really not how it works. But I appreciate your interesting care, I suppose. I don't know. So yeah, um, oh, now, of course, speaking of church members, though, it was interesting seeing some of the results, namely uh, what happened in Utah, largely mm-hmm. Latter-day Saint. Uh, President Trump still got 58% of the vote, which is low for Utah, better than he did four years ago when Evan McMullen was around and took a lot of that away from him. Uh, we had some who thought that perhaps he wouldn't even crack 50%, uh, but he obviously did. Uh, Joe Biden got just under 38% of the vote, which is still the best Democrats done there and who knows how long. But it wasn't close. It was a 20-point win for uh, the incumbent in Utah. I don't think that's shocking. But what was interesting was looking at precinct tallies and seeing if places like Provo were voting for Biden. Like the college students there were voting for Biden over over others. So that was reasonably interesting. And then they got congressional races. But if you want to talk about the Latter-day Saint vote, that was interesting in Utah. Also interesting to see Arizona still went blue despite the entreaties from – both sides. But uh, Arizona went blue this time around. And now, also, we don't know if in Utah, Ben McAdams will actually get elected or not. They're just going back and forth. Who knows? He represents the fourth district. Sorry. And shocking news, Spencer Cox was elected. He beat the Democrat, Peterson, by like 33 points. How did Devin do? Is Devin coming on the show again soon? So, and I hope so. I need to talk to Devin. We need to get Devin on and do a little bit of a postmortem because Devin, of course, did not win his election uh, for Why the third of course. <laughs> congressional district. 
I'm not putting words in his mouth, but he would even admit this was sort of a quixotic campaign. I mean, in a lot of states that are reliably sure. one way, either one way or the other, right? Districts that aren't very competitive, there is a sacrificial lamb that gets sent forth from a party to compete, and their their chances of winning are usually pretty slim. In this case, John Curtis was reelected with 68.7% of the vote. Devin got 27% of the vote, which is actually, I think, good for his district, so I'm sure they're pleased with that. Hey. Um, but it wasn't like competitive in the uh, traditional sense. So mm. we do need to have Devin on to see now that it's all over, if he'll have a candid discussion about. Yes, that, that would be interesting. Uh, he's a good guy. Well, anyway, in so speaking Mormon of news stuff, or is that what you're segueing yes. to? Oh, it's slightly yeah, was, political, though. Go ahead. I was going to segue briefly into the fact that we talked about um, Arizona a little bit. You might remember a few weeks ago that we knew a, a letter went around from the, I think, the area presidency of the church. Uh, encouraging members in Arizona to vote down a ballot measure that would uh, that would legalize recreational marijuana. So this, this is even beyond medical marijuana, which Utah has fought about. This is just a make pot for all the funsies. Knock yourself out. Um, the church was not into this. They did not want you to do it. They did not want you to legalize the reefer, as we called it back in the 50s. Uh, but apparently those efforts were, I don't know if to say they were in vain, but it still passed. It yeah. did. The church, the church wasn't big on this, and Arizona still passed it anyway. So this was a, a case where the LDS vote uh, did not come through and fix it. You're native Arizona, Josie. What do you think? I know. I just don't have very much to say about this. I've had a few people ask me about thoughts on marijuana, either medicinal or recreational. And maybe this is really uh, short-sighted or just maybe naive, but I still just feel like as far as marijuana is concerned, do we have bigger fish to fry and other things to be a little bit more concerned about? Um, so I've read through some pros and con lists, but that's really about as far as I've made it. And also, um, I think for me on an overseas ballot, this wasn't really one of the propositions that I could vote for anyways. Um, I was pretty much just for presidential election and then like my district. So, uh, yeah. don't blame this on me if you're angry. That's all I got. So. Okay. Fair enough. Is that the one you were going to get into before I robbed it up from you? No, no, no. It was just an okay. easy segue to go from politics to the recreational. And now we're bill. in the world. Well, as I mean, I like to steer every conversation towards recreational marijuana. Of course. As as one I should. know what you like. I know what you were really doing on Al's farm. Oh, we were just relaxing. Uh-huh. Yeah, he grows he grows hemp. Yes. Uh, yeah. We were just relaxing. We were just relaxing. <laughs> we were just relaxing, watching Dazed and Confused and Cheech and Chong movies. That's all we did. <laughs> For a whole week. Well, so let the kids play as, over there. Just let, that, don't don't bother. Them. Do back it. to a Utah story. That this is, I feel like, probably the only decent bit of news we have. No, I shouldn't disregard us that quickly. Um, but there is. Let's see. So Utah is looking to decertify BYU's um, police force, which I don't know that I've seen many. Pro- like suggestions that this should be done at other universities. Um, So I think this is coming from the attorney general's staff saying that the department isn't acting like a police department normally would and that they should be subject to the government's rules of records management. So it's all about how they've handled 
records, particularly around the sexual assaults and reporting cases that the Salt Lake Tribune was reporting on in 2017 and won a Pulitzer for, etc. So that's yeah. my understanding of what this is all about. BYU is saying that this should be dismissed from court because it should be more of an individual discipline issue and not necessarily reason to get rid of the entire police department. Um, so I'm not really too sure what to think about this because I haven't seen this really done with other universities. Um, my understanding is that during the time of the Tribs reporting in 2017, the BYU wasn't actually subject to the public public records clause, but that law changed in 2019. And so now it's kind of like, well, should they release records retroactively like some um, of the press would like them to do? That's basically that issue. Got anything yeah, to add there, Jeff? I'm not, again, I'm not sure. Well, not, not a ton. It. I do think it's interesting that, I mean, this, this is all BYU itself has been singled out so much. And like you said, a lot of this in the wake of uh, so many investigations into misconduct around sexual assault cases there because uh, they're, they're not pursuing this at other universities in Utah, which have their own police uh, departments as well. Um, so it's not like BYU is this outlier that has its own like random separate police force, but the University of Utah or Weber State or whatever just have you know municipal cops. Uh, but I have seen quite a push in Provo to just say, get rid of them and let Provo police just handle the school. Let that be that. Of course, the church wouldn't That's want that. Because why would the church want to give up autonomy? No one wants to give up autonomy in any situation. I mean, it, this even goes down to the reason why Walt Disney World is built on incorporated two incorporated cities that are owned by Disney so that they can rubber stamp everything they want to do. So that there's no hurdles to doing what you want. And it's even the same idea at BYU, right? You've got your own police department. You call the shots with what they do and what the rules are, even if they have to coordinate with Provo. Um it's, it makes it sound a little bit like they almost operate like their own little city. I didn't realize that there may be a difference between other universities having local cops that are like assigned to the university versus BYU having its own separate police. Well, no, force. no. As far as I know, most other universities have their own police force. Now, I don't. Oh, okay, I'm okay. Pretend I, I'm not going to pretend I know all the ins and outs of the relationships between those departments. Yeah, and me neither. Municipal ones, if any, uh, if, if there are restrictions in place for being a university police department in terms of what you can do and what you can enforce or if some things have to be turned over at the municipal level or not. But obviously BYU has been in some hot water for a while for like, you know, bad record keeping and the way they've, it's been a little shady. So um, if they decertified it, that would really be something, especially in Utah. I mean, you know, it's the Lord's university. And then can you imagine the state government's like, yeah, well, that's all well and good. We don't care whose university you are. You are no longer worthy. You are done. Well, if I've learned anything from my time in youth, the importance of journal keeping. So come on, BYU, you can keep your own records. Do you do you keep a journal? I do. Good for you. My it used it used to be more of a religious thing, or as religious in the sense of like I used to be more consistent with it and as religious. a kid when yes. I didn't yeah, that too. <laughs> you found me out. Um, yeah, we have some temple news too. Do you want to take, there's lots of, well, essentially just let's all, let's all groundbreaking. It. It be so fun. I'm going to start off in Arkansas because I like this one the most. So typically these groundbreakings that we've had lately, especially in the time of COVID, uh, if there's, it's been lower key to have a temple groundbreaking. 
Um, and no one's really traveling right now in terms of members of the 12 or senior leadership in the 70 to go preside over a temple groundbreaking. But the Bentonville, Arkansas temple, this is one of the ones we called for uh, for years in our temple predictions, and it was announced uh, last year, I believe, or was announced in April. Might have been announced in April. I don't remember anymore. Uh, it was announced October 19th. So yeah, a year ago. And Bentonville is in northwest Arkansas. So this is not going up around Little Rock, the capital city of Arkansas, because northwestern Arkansas has actually seen a huge population boom and a lot of boom of Latter-day Saint numbers there as well. So that's where Arkansas gets its first temple. But presiding over it virtually was Elder David A. Bednar of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. Now, if you see what this means, they piped in a feed of him on some monitors, like inside the chapel next door to talk. And then they went out with, you know, the golden shovels and dug some ceremonial dirt and said, a temple shall be here henceforth. Now, I think that's great. Uh, you know, the, we've talked about the temple design. It's pretty chill. I actually think the design of it looks weirdly like it's alluding to Spanish Baroque in an area that's not part of that historically in any capacity whatsoever. <laughs> But it's fine. No Moroni, which is not shocking. But Elder Bednar, as I'm burying the lead, uh, has a lengthy personal history in the region. He was a stake president there two different times. He's lived in the Bentonville area on two different occasions during his academic career. So I think we see this a lot. If the brethren have some sort of a personal tie towards the temple, they kind of let tip the hat and say, you know, you go do this one. Like, you know, Elder Packer back years ago, of course, was I think he even dedicated the Brigham City Temple because he's famously from Brigham City. Um, so when this one's done, de- it depends on who's leading the church. I'm not saying President Nelson won't be around in the roughly three years it takes for a temple to show up from when it's dedicated. Um, but uh, it just depends on the rules. Sometimes it's only First Presidency members who dedicate temples, and sometimes it gets stretched out to others. So Greats are going to have a temple up there in northwestern Arkansas, and I just love that they're like doing it virtually to accommodate Elder Bednar. Because in any other situation, they'd just be like, yeah, just send some Area 70, get it done. But they said, okay, Dave, go. You can do this. Well, and then the next one is the Red Cliffs Temple, which apologies for all of the Utah, the majority of Utah listeners. I had to look this up because I didn't actually know where it was. I didn't even know it was in Utah. It's in St. George. This is the second St. George Temple. So they had their groundbreaking ceremony as well. It was Elder Holland, his wife, and his son, Elder, well, the other Elder Holland, and also Elder Craig C. Christensen. And wives included. And uh, if you want the context there, Elder Christensen is, I believe, the president of the Utah area within the, the way the 70 preside over areas. And Elder Holland, of course, oh. is from Southern Utah. Elder Holland is, is from Southern Utah. He was you know, raised around Kanab. So this is relevant to him as well. How do you know all of this background? I was distracted when you said golden shovel. I pay attention to Jesus, the... Josie. I pay attention to, to things. To Jesus or the I, birth certificate? I love, I love everything in the gospel and I care. And so that's why I know these things. Okay. Mm. All right. Okay. It just takes, it takes like the smallest amount of effort to know these things. So like for that, I'm giving you Taylorsville. Go ahead. Do the Taylorsville groundbreaking. Okay. Uh, and Taylorsville, I, I'm so sad we're seeing um, Taylorsville, ground broken in Taylorsville, Utah Temple. This one's a little bit different because rather than being constructed on open land, they tore down, a, they're tearing down buildings and doing things to get a temple. And Elder Gong presided over this. His wife is actually from Taylorsville originally. Elder Gong is not, but uh, his wife 
that's relevant for her. Golden shovels for everyone all around with the golden shovels. Taylorsville Temple actually has a pretty cool design. I'm excited to see that one go up. Uh, that's going to be the fifth temple in the Salt Lake Valley after the Salt Lake Temple, Jordan River Temple, Draper Temple, and Ochre Mountain Temple. Wow. Yes. That's now, incredible. Now, if you don't know how these groundbreakings work, in some ways, the visual of it's kind of amusing because what they do is they set up those same plush red chairs, not as plush as you see in the conference center, but plushish red chairs. Um, and they put them in front of, you know, they've got like a nice green carpet. They have it set up very, very pleasant looking on the outside. And they have a whole ceremony like any groundbreaking. And then they've usually have oh, just a row of dirt dumped on top of whatever dirt is already there. And then they just turn the soil. They basically just turn the soil. Like I I've never seen one of these where whatever Bednar, you know, goes and like hops on the shovel and really gets down there, digs up a, you know, a nice divot in the ground. It doesn't work that way. They just, they just till a little soil from the top and get it done. So and this is sometimes- the uh, Mormon equivalent of like the big golden scissors chopping the ribbon and opening yeah. up. I love it. Well, it's funny because well, I mean, in, in these cases, when it's still like an open property it makes sense but I, I still remember years ago when they broke ground for the philadelphia pennsylvania temple uh and president iring was there and in this case they built the temple and the whole church complex on what was a city parking lot in downtown philadelphia the church you know bought all the land and built it there so at the time it was still just a functioning parking lot and so obviously the the visual of it was more amusing because they put out all the usual stuff and they just like dump dirt on top of asphalt and they're just sitting there just like turning up some dirt on the asphalt. <laughs> and it's also worth remembering though that these groundbreakings, typically speaking, we found that I think nowadays the temples, the construction does start in earnest for the most part, I would say, uh, but sometimes it doesn't. Like in Philadelphia's case, they did the groundbreaking and then like nothing happened for a long time. I went up there too and I, w- I was like, I'm going to go check out the temple site, see how the construction's going. And I was like, okay, it's just like a parking lot that people are still using to park on. Where's my temple? Come on, people. And it is my temple right now because they're never going to rededicate the DC temple, I don't think ever, because of COVID. Anyway. <laughs> on those cheery thoughts. Speaking speaking of the DC temple, um, I love this one. So if you've... This is just a random little DC culture thing. Now, the DC temple is iconic in the capital region here. It's been there for a very long time. And if you're coming around on the uh, outer loop of the beltway, of the 495 beltway, it basically means you're going counterclockwise and you're up in Maryland. If you go that way, you turn a corner or the freeway turns and you'll see the whole temple right there in front of you. It's this iconic shot where it just looms over the beltway. That's great. Now, for years, because of the design of the DC temple, looking vaguely like the Emerald City in The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> vaguely. Uh, graffitiers, graffito, uh, they're probably called graffitos, I would guess. Graffitos. Graffitos. Would, isn't that actually how Italian works? Right? I don't know. It's graffitos. like Cheetos. Bravo. So <laughs> they would, they'd often tag the word surrender Dorothy on an overpass in front that, that happens in front of the temple because that's what the, you know, the Wicked Witch of oh, the West puts in, puts in the sky telling them to give her up, right? So uh-huh. now after the election and given everything that's going on, with the election and the fact that uh, President Trump has yet to concede defeat, um, they have modified the sign. So now it says surrender Donald, which <laughs> officially makes less sense, but it's a pretty funny image. Uh, more funny to me, probably just from living out here, just seeing it says surrender Donald and the temple's just looming over it behind it. And that's really all it is. So Jeff, 
Did you do them. this as a ploy for more Patreon? I couldn't. Subscribers. I was in Missouri. I have, a, I have an alibi. I was in Missouri. There are pictures <laughs> to prove it. There's no way it was me. There's no I way. You can't prove anything. I don't know. Can't prove anything. I don't know about that. My theory at first was that it was definitely you and Jared. And then I realized that, oh, actually, um, Jared moved to Idaho. So just rubbing a little bit of salt in that wound for you. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, going up to My Maryland, apologies. it's just so far. Who wants to go to So Maryland? far. All their taxes um, and stuff. It's just no fun. <laughs> So we do have a bit of a non-event update on the hymn book. I'm which listening. Is just to say, <laughs> I, well, I got I very much got drawn in with an update on the hymn book, but as it turns out, basically all they've said is that they received um, sixteen thousand music submissions from sixty-six different countries, which seems like quite a lot to me. I wonder how many of those are repeats. Um, and so what they all they've come out and said is that the process is expected to take several years. That's all I got. But I mean, at least it's something instead of, I mean, like, when did they first do the call out for that? I feel like that was probably two years ago. And then maybe they closed it last year. And um, I don't know, maybe they need a bigger music reviewing team on this. Or yeah, it was two years it's ago. just going to be a slow burn kind of a project and we'll get it when they eventually finish it. But it's so not yeah, it coming was, in 2021. It was June of, uh, sorry, sorry, I was cutting you off. It was uh, June You're of 2018. Good. June of 2018 was when mm. they, that's when we wrote about them doing this, which is, it feels like an eon ago. June of 2018. We were, we were just dealing with like having the priesthood quorums reorganized and some of that stuff. President Nelson hadn't gone on the anti-Mormon crusade yet. That was going to come a few months later. Uh, so, yeah. So that's, <laughs> it's like, what was the anti-Mormon crusade? You mean of the name? Mor- okay. Not saying Mormon. My yet. apologies. I was like, wow, would I sleep through that one? I do, do, I do believe LDS Living deserves a little bit of flack for the headline because it says 16,000 submissions and two years later... Church provides update on hymn book revision. But like you said, there's not. Which is that it will be a few more years. <laughs> yeah. it's. I, I was hoping they'd say like, well, everyone, this is great. So here's where the project actually stands and what we've been working on. But it, yeah, it's just, no, it's more a it chance doesn't. to kind of chest thump about how, how, how excited people are about it. That's okay. I don't know. If anything, it was better hearing that it will take a while longer than not hearing anything at all and just thinking that, you know wow, gosh, it actually takes them ages to get through this project. At yeah. least I have been warned. So yeah. I'll take it. Um, speaking of other interesting church metrics, uh, BYU Pathway Worldwide Enrollment has surpassed 50,000 students in over 150 countries. That's pretty cool. What started with only 50 students a decade ago in Rexburg, Idaho, is now a global online learning program with over 50,000 students. That's kind of very cool. nice. I've seen Pathway benefit uh, people in my very close, you know, family. Even I think it's great they do Pathway. It's, it, it has, I think, revolutionized providing an opportunity for individuals to obtain a four-year degree. That's what makes it really, really crucial. It's not just a cool home study program where eventually you have to find a way to transfer to a four-year university, one of the churches or other. It's a legitimate. It's a full-blown program where you can obtain. Uh, that level of education. So that's great. I'm glad it's going well. Pathways have been a big big success. So really, you know of people like in the US who do actually use this program? Yeah. My understanding- Pathway is interesting because it's not, I don't feel like Pathway is very global, 
But I think its idea is to provide access regardless of where you're from. It's not like the Perpetual Education Fund, which is focused primarily on the developing world, I would say. Sure. Um, Pathway, I have, yeah, I mean, I've known people in California who have done Pathway. Okay, but here's my thought, though, was that, like, my understanding was that Pathways was uh, first supposed to be for more of the developing world, as you say, and it's not really turned out to be that way. But do you think that there are other or better options, like, say, in the U.S. than Pathways? Or have those people who have done Pathways felt that, like, it was equally adequate and have been able to, like, find employment subsequently does that make sense i don't know i don't know what the analog to it would be though at least as far as anything offered by the church i don't think there is one well i mean community college at least gives you the two-year degree well, option it, and then it, it does but see the, the benefit of pathways most of it's online as well yeah it's, it's much okay. more convenient it, it faces Fair the enough. realities i mean let's let's say for example this this happens this is a, a common tale uh, there are many women, oftentimes, who start college and they get married, like at BYU or whatever, and then they drop out to work and support their husband, who's going to be a dentist. He always is, and <laughs> and um, it's so true. And, they, and and it's difficult once life gets in the way, once you 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 start having a family and expand and all that. You tell yourself, "I'm going to go finish my degree," and it becomes really hard to do that. And that's understandable. Why you've you know you've made. You've, everyone's made, I don't think anybody's going to complain about their choices. We make our choices and we're happy about them. But you find that I don't have any stats directly to support this, but that's a, just one example of someone who can go out with young kids or older, whatever, wherever you're at and say like, I want to finish my degree. You can be involved with Pathway. You can do it more at your own pace and remotely for the, for the most part um, and get it done and still get your degree. And that's a great thing you can achieve in a different way. Yeah, no, that's a great point. I was thinking of it more from the context of like, if you were a younger university student age, then were there really more benefits to pathways than going more of the traditional route, even if it started at like community college, which is more affordable than yeah. anyways. So that that's a good point. I, I um, think the convenience factor is a big one. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, that would make sense. Um, if we can, I'm going to jump into some of our international news. Please do. Um, uh, cue my theme song. And okay, so following <laughs> the <laughs> attack in Vienna, <laughs> thank you, I appreciate that. <laughs> so following the attack in Vienna, the Europe Area Presidency released a statement of condolences to those families who lost loved ones and to those who were also injured. Um, that attack happened. Ooh, what was it about? I think that that's been about two weeks now as well. Mm -hmm. And um, very much, I think, shook the city. Um, In responses to the pandemic and some employment loss, the church has added a job finding resource on its website specifically for the northwest area of South America. So this is like Colombia, Ecuador, um, etc. in that cluster up there. So um, saints in that area can just go through to that website. They have like a daily uh-huh. job spotlight and a couple of other resources to oh, add to their boy. list of things to search for. Sorry, you know how I feel about the... <laughs> hey, I love this picture that they used. Sorry. I... It's pretty okay. good. 
No, no, that picture exists somewhere on Twim's website as well. I don't know which article. That comes from, I'm pretty sure that one comes from a website called Pexels. That I, yep, it does. It's a Pexel it, picture. Of course it does. I like Everyone the uses so, Pexels. Yeah, Pexels is just a place where you can get uh, open license stock footage, basically. And we've used mm-hmm. it in some Twim article, but I do not remember which to save my life. But that cracks me up that we have it there. Now I feel like I'm on a mission. I have to find that, but we'll do it later. Continue, as it were. Continue. All right. Um, So some humanitarian work. Um, The church in Rome contributed to the opening of a food pantry where people can go um, for some free groceries in a time of need. The church has also offered to contribute some of their self-reliance courses and other initiatives to go along with that project, which I believe is in collaboration with the Red Cross and um, probably a municipality of Rome. And the church also donated over $60,000 worth of PPE equipment to the Republic of Congo's Department of Health to help ease some pressures of the pandemic there. So I think that we'll keep seeing a lot of donations and our humanitarian efforts going towards the pandemic for quite a while. Hold on, Uh, Josie. What? Okay, you can't call it PPE equipment because that's like... That's like the dumb thing like my favorite baseball team, the Los Angeles Angels, are called the Angels Angels. PPE means personal protective equipment. So you can't say personal protective equipment. My equipment. apologies. My apologies. You are the never going to work in this equipment. Town again. <laughs> yes, I did write it twice. But do you know... Don't you know how no. lazy I am? When I, when I do your international uh, news, I copy and paste what you write here for your synopsis in our show notes. To pick me up. Don't make me have to edit or proofread your work. I don't have time for that. Okay. Well, if it makes you feel any better, I think I did in one other area. I have another. I have another typo. I'll fix it for you later. Can I continue? (laughs) So, Family Search has reached eight billion names that are available to search. Here we go. I'm just repeating several words for you to make you angry. And then a final shout out to the, um, or for an upcoming event to celebrate the 150 years of Yemen women's. This will be celebrated with a broadcast on November 15th. Um, and all year, the Yemen women have been encouraged to do something signifying the number 150. So, for example, my ward, um, because I'm in Yen Women's now for the first time ever, it's very exciting, Um, we compiled compiled a bunch of images of things that we were grateful for and posted them in sort of an image journal of sorts on Instagram. And so we will be watching that broadcast within the next couple of weeks, whenever we can actually get usage of the chapel, which is Still a little bit tricky in Singapore. And that's it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you guys are still, are you guys meeting at all in person? We can. So we've split it up by alphabetical. Like the first half of the alphabet can sign up. And once you hit 100 attendees, then they sort of cut it off or put you on a standby list. Um, So, and we just do sacrament meeting. We've only just barely got approval to... Um, have some second hour lessons, but like primary is not doing anything. Sunday school Mm. is still mostly online. We just had our first young women's lesson in person last week. And uh, we almost needed a microphone because we were all sitting so far apart. (laughs) Yeah. I thought it was a little much, but I was going to keep that to myself. So. No, come on. Come on now. Rock that boat. Well, 
Um, also, quick international news that I'll add here, sort of, the other way around. Uh, the church has started the, quote, deliberate and cautious process of sending more missionaries to overseas assignments. Now, if you're thinking this sounds like something that's happened before, it has at a very small scale, um, in that some missionaries returned to, like, Denmark, and basically just Denmark, if you were going to Denmark. Now, the church is monitoring the situation, of course, very carefully, um, but missionaries are going to start in small numbers returning to overseas assignments where it is appropriate. I think this has got to be a huge relief if you are a missionary. I mean, if you were either, you know, you're called home and they say, all right, well, you're just going to serve in down in Delta, Utah now for the time being until we sort this thing out, buddy. And you got to do most of your stuff over Zoom. And you're like, that's cool. That's great. I love Delta. They have a Sinclair gas station. It's wonderful. And, uh, that's what you do. It's got to be a huge relief if you get called up and you can finally go to the country that you were assigned to uh, preach in. I think that's, I'd be, I just looking back at my own mission, if there was something that would have kept me from going to Spain or brought me back from Spain, even if I was like halfway through my mission and then they just, like, it'd be fine if they sent me to Texas for a little while or whatever, but yeah, I'd want to get back to Spain and like, that's what I was sent to do. So it's great. It's, it's still baby. Yeah, definitely. I'm doing it. Yeah, I I mean, there, I'm a little torn on this because I do feel like, you know, it would be so infuriating to feel like your life is on hold as a missionary. Um, yeah. But I also just feel like, like, is this wise? Because there doesn't seem to be much evidence that the pandemic has actually gotten any better. It just seems that we've gotten a bit tired of it and decided to That's go ahead. And instead of waiting for a vaccine, we're like, we'll just, we'll just see how this goes. Like, let's just do it. We um, love rolling the dice, man, here in yeah. the States. <laughs> well, you know, what's the worst that the, could happen? That being said, there have been a lot of, like, the the church has said that missionary work has actually been doing okay during this time. And my husband served during the financial crisis in 2008, and he did say that, you know, while it's sad because people are in crisis, but they were more open to and like looking for things that they could change. And so as a missionary, it was actually like quite an ideal time. He also said, because most people were at home instead of being at work. <laughs> um, so <laughs> COVID could be similar, um, even if it's still like remote teaching or contacting in some sort of way. So I, yeah, I'm torn between wanting missionaries and the people that they're in contact with to be safe, but also realizing that this could be a great opportunity for them. Yeah. I, I, I'm actually very surprised when I've also heard that COVID's been a fruitful time for the missionaries. Cause I've always, I just assumed going that just like, this is just going to be the worst. Like you're treading water until this is done, but right. it's been it, by and large, it's actually been pretty okay, which is great. Um, good for them. So most Americans, according to this delightful little poll, think that um, the Bible, Quran, and Book of Mormon have some truth, or all, or the quote was all expressions of the same truths. And by most Americans, we're talking about sixty-five percent. Although interestingly, if you read a little bit further down in this survey, most self-identified Christians uh, disagreed. <laughs> So 52% of them said this was not accurate, and it includes some delightful little quotes in there about how the Quran and the Book of Mormon and Mormonism in general are just 
not correct and are leading Christians away <laughs> and down the path to hell. I'm like, yep, same expressions of truth. But still an interesting poll. I wonder if as a whole we are a little bit more open to seeing that, you know, each religion has something of value to offer. Well, sure. I mean, sure. I wish they would ask whether the uh, the famed Runama, the book of the soul, was also at the same level of value. This is a book written by uh, President Nyazov, the president of Turkmenistan from 1990 to 2006. Oh, it was boy. effectively the president of Turkmenistan developed his own scripture and it's Turkmenistan's a gnarly com- uh, country. So that's like a whole thing. It's basically like, I mean, just imagine that. Imagine if your leader's like, here's what's going to happen. I have created a companion piece to the Quran. <laughs> Enjoy. <Dying. laughs> and you should all you know. know. You, make just, fair, <laughs> you make a fair point. <sighs> that would be awesome. Anyway, uh, I'm going to shock all of you with this one, everybody. So according to accessonline.com, which I'm assuming is Access Hollywood. These are websites Correct. I don't frequent. Um, All good Real Housewives of Salt Lake City star Jen Shaw. I don't know who that is because, again, I'm not paying attention to this. But she, don't worry, but I looked she up looks, all of this. She looks very real. She looks like a very real person to me with lots of real features. <laughs> um, <laughs> she said, quote, none of the Mormons on the show follow the rules, quote, of the church. Oh. No, no, oh she's God. got a better quote afterwards. She said that they are, quote, ungodlike. No. <laughs> it's so good. Okay, so I looked into so this you've a little bit. All of this. As in, I'm sorry. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> no, I didn't. I did. I didn't watch any of it because I can't. I can't actually sit through it. I only looked at the bios to see how many of the women included in the Real Housewives of Salt Lake City were actually Mormon. I think it is a little bit more on the fifty-fifty side, but. It doesn't sound like any of them are practicing anymore. So this Jen Shaw, who is dishing out the the goss, she converted to Islam. And then there's another, Lisa Barrow, who... I love these definitions of how they describe themselves. She defines herself as a Mormon 2.0 because she's unable to adhere to all of the strict and traditional Mormon rules. I am unable and. I am physically <laughs> incapable of doing it. And Heather Gray says she's Mormon-ish, whatever that means. And then there were a couple of others who had um, left the church and joined something else. I think one was excommunicated because she had an affair. Well, no. She says that she fell in love with her boss which oh, she had an affair and then they both divorced their partners and then they got married and they've been married for like 10 years or something. So, you know, many happy returns to them. Um, um, <laughs> but, so it's great. So it's great this sounds like prime TV watching. If you really feel like um, you're going to learn something intellectual, there you go. What I'm, so what I'm surprised Salt Lake City. Is- like there are so many enterprising Latter Day Saints who want to make their own versions of popular reality shows. I'm I'm particularly thinking of the Bachelor franchise. I mean, we had that uh, was it actually called Bachelor of Provo or something? There was that one show where this guy was doing it in Provo, and it was so on point with how much they were aping the Bachelor that 
um, ABC television sent them a cease and desist and they had to like shut it down because they were just like, <laughs> straight up copying their IP. Um, basically, I just want to see someone do a genuine Utah Real Housewives because I'm sure the Salt Lake City thing is what it is, but why can't we get like the Real Housewives of Daybreak? Like somewhere where it's going to show actual Draper. active Latter-day Saint women being the worst, but at the very least being the worst while wearing their garment by capping their shoulders. You know what I mean? Like being <laughs> that level of worst. I just, I don't know. It's, I haven't watched the house. I know the sisters, twin sisters want, apparently want to do a podcast on this. I gave them the okay. So I don't know what they're waiting on. Like, where are my episodes, ladies? Like, send oh, them to has me. it already started? I, yes. Okay. So, not the target I, I'll audience. leave this to the, tw- uh, yeah, me neither. So I'll leave this to the twin sisters. I just enjoyed reading the bios and how they self describe themselves. That's the, um, the only enjoyable part of it to me. So, it's kind of a mess, yeah. But um, we'll stay tuned for the Real Housewives of uh, who knows what Draper Daybreak. Do you said Daybreak? Draper, why Draper would also be an excellent choice. <laughs> or just do Provo. Oh man, do the Real Housewives of the Riverwoods. They clearly wanted some diversity and a couple of those like bad girl kind of Mormon-ish types is what I think they're going for. It's an interesting cast. I think they're trying to be salacious and pretend that there are... 100%. Act. I mean, sorry, yeah, I know. They're trying to, be, like, let me let me qualify my comment because obviously they're trying to be salacious, but the very existence of the whole <laughs> franchise is salacious. But, Shocker. But, like, I, I think they're trying to pin it, like, watch Mormons be bad. Like, like that's the intrigue for this season. And, uh, and I'm not here bit. to define who is Latter-day Saint and who's not. Like you mentioned, the one who's Mormon 2.0. That's a whole different discussion. You know, the, I think we don't know where we're at with that as a faith community, whether you can just kind of consider yourself Mormon, but you're not like, because we're so into all the rules and all the parts of it that it's all encompassing. If you're just like, no, I'm a Mormon, but I'm not practicing. I'm, an, I'm not an Orthodox Mormon, right? Like I'm, I'm a Reform Mormon, if we can take the Jewish template to it. Um, you know, I don't know where that's a thing. It's a thing that's bubbling a little bit, but I don't know if we're willing you to don't embrace think so. that. Yeah. I feel like when we say like, I'm a Latter-day Saint, it's like, cool. Well, be diverse then, but there are certain rules you follow, but be diverse everywhere else. That's fine. But follow the others, follow the stuff. Cause otherwise you're not, you're a Jack Mormon or I guess now Jack Latter-day Saints. That's the new term. That's what I hear that people say. <laughs> So. I think the difference with this is just that, um, like, usually, if you are, quote, trying to be a Mormon 2.0 and unable to follow every strict rule, I think people generally keep it to themselves a little bit more, except when they are using that as a marketing point to get them onto the Housewives of Salt Lake City. So, um so yeah, I don't know. Maybe we'll have the introduction of a lapsed Catholic, like a lapsed Mormon. Who knows? I don't. Uh, but apparently the twin you sisters do, and they might be on next week, everybody. So you can ask them, and we'll see what's uh, happening there. Perfect. Yeah. Now, folks, if you have not subscribed to this podcast, what you've just spent an hour being edified through brilliant commentary about all these issues. So if you've not subscribed to the show, wherever you get your podcasts, please take the time to do so and leave us a review, especially those of you on Apple podcasts. Seriously, please take two minutes, go and leave us a review. I'll give you a big, warm virtual hug 
in a COVID setting. So I'll look at you from six feet away and nod. But, you know, do it. That'd be great of you. And uh, join us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And send us an email, contact at thisweekinmormons.com. If you have any questions or feedback, we monitor that inbox and we respond to it. We promise we do. We are happy to do that. So, uh, Josie, thanks for being here this week. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Josie. Very nice of you to be here. And uh, to, our patr- to our patrons on Patreon, thank you very much for your support. If you would like to support the show with $1 a month, go to patreon.com slash thisweekinmormons, and we will send you a little love note. And I'll talk about all your best features. It'll be terrific. So until then, when we convene again, for Josie, I'm Jeff. Thank you so much for listening. This has been This Week in Mormons. Be well, be holy, and be happy.